It was March 30th, we convinced him to come over to the house and we, we were visiting and he was uber happy, manic euphoria. And he did stuff like saying how he understood what Jesus died for and, and what we as humans are supposed to do and the living experiences. It was weird. He had two different kind of shoes on, two different kind of socks on. He looked like so disheveled. I said, would you go share this with a friend of mine? And so meanwhile, I'm calling my psychiatrist friend and go, hey, my son, something's wrong. I just tell him to come by 11 o'clock on Monday. So on Sunday, I called him. I got you an appointment. Here's the address, 11 o'clock. Just go go chat and let's figure this thing out. You know, well, I left that on his voicemail and uh, he shot himself on uh, Sunday. Welcome to the Good Grief, Good God Show hosted by Grammy nominee and Emmy award-winning hit songwriter of 15 top 10 songs, including nine number ones, Brad Warren of the Warren Brothers. Join Brad during season one monthly on the first and third Tuesdays on your favorite audio platform or in video on YouTube for raw, honest conversation about surviving things that suck. For today's episode, Brad welcomes eight-time winner of Polestar's Third Coast Agent of the Year, CMA Touring Lifetime Achievement Award recipient and booking agent for CAA and co-founder of CAA's Nashville office, John Huey. John and his wife, Dawn, lost their son, Ryan, 10 years ago, and they were huge anchors for Brad and Michelle after Sage's passing. In proper John Huey form, he and Don started the incredible Life After Loss program at Onsite for families who have suffered loss. You're about to discover that John's heart and faith are as big as his personality and achievements. I'm producer Matt Pivato. To learn more about today's guest, Brad, and the show, check the description where you'll also find clickable links to connect to the show on social media and to visit goodgriefgoodgodshow.com. Lastly, if you'd like to help support the show, hit that like and subscribe button and leave us a comment or a five-star review. On the behalf of Brad's wife, Michelle, and segment producer and guest booker, Lisa Bolt, thank you for tuning in. The Good Grief, Good God Show is brought to you in loving memory of Sage Michael Warren. And episode 15 is brought to you in loving memory of Ryan Scott Huey. Playing hurt today, John Huey. Thank you for uh, being here. You got a little cold. A little head cold, but negative COVID. I'm actually just kind of uh, trying to sneeze and cough when I get in public just to get myself some room. I think I don't have to get on an airplane anytime soon, I don't think. You're not getting on an airplane? Uh, next time on a plane, going to London. We're gonna, my wife and I are going to go three days or I think we're going to take a train down to Amsterdam and get out of London. But uh, Do you continue working some uh, just... Just so that you can do fun, fun stuff. I, I think I'm the number one user of the CAA suite at Bridgestone. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's it. my parking spot in the Truist Building, right behind the Ryman, is you know, it's <laughs> yeah. golden. So yeah, it absolutely. Has well, to. you own CAA, don't you? I no, mean, no, no, no. <laughs> well, I wish, but I don't know. I mean, you do kind of look like Rob Light. You guys get the. There's definitely a CAA agent look. Oh, really? Ken Lovekin could work in there too. Yeah. Big guys. Yeah. Talking to your son Jason before we started this, and, it's, and he works with Etix along with our friend Matt, and, and uh, I'm like, is there a height requirement at Etix? Because you guys are like six four. Well, the most powerful guy in the world, probably one or two, is the most powerful guy in the business, Irving Azov, and he's how big he's is like Irving? Five two. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's not not tall at all, but very tall in stature. You did something before CAA, didn't you? Have, didn't, oh my did God, you own yeah. your own thing? I mean, you were. Historically, I, you know, got in the business, you know, I just got honored by the CMA and it was for a lifetime achievement and it was a good time to reflect on everything. This award gave me an opportunity to do that because I did some interviews and people sort of said, well, how'd you get in the business? So you, 
Hopefully, there were somebody was recording it. So I mean, did you grow up going, "I'm going to be a." Boogie. I was a Beatle nut. I had a Beatle wig, and I took my mom's ukulele, and I'd play air guitar. And when I was a little kid, and and my first concert was August 18, 1965, the Beatles wow. at Atlanta Stadium. That was my first concert, and I never wanted to be a Beatle. I wanted to be one of the guys running with the Beatles. When I saw Hard Day's Night, I was kind of paying attention to who all was involved in the process of making it work. As a kid, I was nine years old. So in, in high school, I the uh, last two years of high school, I, I um, booked all the prom day. I was treasurer student body my 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 junior year and president student body my senior year, and I was in charge of setting up all the school dances. We actually had school dances back when I grew up, <laughs> and I would know the local scene and was a pizza cook at the Omni downtown. It was right when Underground Atlanta opened up, and uh, a guy who had hockey tickets for the Atlanta Flames right outside my booth. He told me he ran the Broadway. I said, great, pizza and beer's on me. So I comped him his pizza and beer, and I'd go down to the club, and they'd know me. I'd walk in, and I'd have to keep quiet because a couple times there were bands that I had that at a school dance, a high school school dance that played in the club. That knew you were in high that, school. That, yeah, yeah, I'm like, shh, don't, don't say anything, you know. But, and then when I went to college, I, I went to Davidson College in North Carolina. I joined the concert committee as a freshman, and, and then the last two years, I actually – quit football and ran the concert committee for two years. And I always say my, my degree is in sociology, but I majored in, I basically majored in the student union. And yeah. uh, so got to buy talent. Then I bought a lot from this little company called the Paragon Agency in Macon, Georgia, which was home of Capricorn Records. Kenny Chesney was on Capricorn Records. That was the re resurgence of it when it opened in that, when Walden moved to, uh, it's an Atlanta-based company. I remember there was a band from Tampa that got a deal with Capricorn Records. Yeah. We were all freaking out because someone got signed. And then I stopped and went, what's Capricorn Records? Right. But I remember it was in Atlanta. So was there, went there. Ian Copeland was uh, uh, was an uh, agent who had who'd been there about a year. He moved from England. And his dad was uh, his dad was one of the original founders of the CIA and was based in Lebanon. And his brother was Stuart Copeland, the drummer of the oh, police. Oh, yeah, police, yeah. And uh, Miles was the manager and started IRS Records. So Ian was an agent there. And then at Paragon, it's because Ian, I said, why, why'd you move from England to Macon, Georgia? Why not New York or L.A.? <laughs> yeah. See, everybody in L.A. and New York with suit and ties. And, uh, you know, I like Blue Jesus T-shirts and smoke pot at lunch. So he could do that a little freer at uh, in Macon than he could in New York. And so... He was there, and then a year later, it was, it's long historical context of why we, what, what the changes happened in, in, in this, the business structure in Macon. But Ian decided to move to New York, start his own agency. He asked me to go with him, and I, I did. And it was called FBI. And it was just he and I and a couple assistants started our business. And Who were you looking? Within three years, at one point, we had one, two, and three on the charts. We had Joan Jett, Go-Go's, and the police. Wow. And But it was mainly new wave stuff. While I was there, um, five years into it, um, I signed Amy Grant. And you don't have enough video, you don't have enough time on your hard drive for me to get into that story. So that's not I've why we're here. I've talked about you and Amy Grant on this podcast, by oh, the way. Okay. Just your story about that well, when she came to your house, a lot of things. But yeah, she's... Yeah. I barely know her in passing, but she's amazing. She's an incredible human being. But I, once I signed Amy Grant, I had the Karina Christian, then I had Michael W., then I had Stephen Curtis Chapman, and Petra, and, and then oh, Jars Clay, and, and then all of a sudden I had all these punk bands, and then I had all these Christian bands. 
And I was Did still, you ever get them together to party and see what happens? You know, they were actually, there'd be more than that than you think. But since it is, it was, at the time, a separate business, it was hard. It still is in a lot of ways. You know, any, any specialty, if you have a jazz or yeah. blues or um, country. It's funny uh, how non-country comedy. your roots are, actually. So you didn't start with George Strait. Yeah. But. So, and that's a funny story too. How I got it. My first client, country client, I worked with Dwight Yoakam, and I just said, "I don't know anything about country music. I just know how to book rock bands." He says, "We're going to get along great. Just book me like a rock band." Yeah, and I said, "Great, I can do that." Yeah. Funny thing on Dwight Yoakam. One of the first time I played Houston, booked him in Houston, Texas. I booked a show, and it goes on sale, and then I get this madman calling me from Nashville, and I'm in L.A. at the time. He's screaming at me, you dumb, and it's Ben Farrell. And he says, why did you put Dwight Yoakam the same night that George Strait's in Houston? You know, I, I, I'm like going, who's George Strait? <laughs> I, you know, and, it, you know, I said, well, I, you know, there's no people. I booked it like a rock band. <laughs> I booked it like a rock band. I said, there's 8 million people in that town. You know, and guess what? They both did well. They both sold out. So, yeah. you know, I, I was vindicated. But, you know, it took me a while to learn this system of country and how, how yeah, yeah. things function, operate. Country but, music's like Baptist church. Bless your heart. Shake your hand. Quietly stab you in the back later, maybe. maybe. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know. Well, I always say that's the difference between L.A. and New York. So what should you prefer? I said, I much prefer New York. I'd rather be stabbed in the chest than stabbed in the back. Yeah, me too. Well, I got a fighting chance if the knife's coming right at me. You we, see it coming. Yeah. 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 But I had started my own company. Uh, I, I, oh, I left FBI, started my company, H1. Because it was, I wasn't getting a lot of support, help, nor hire hire for the Christian stuff, and it was like drinking out of a fire hose of just kind of getting, you know. Now I got all this stuff, I got to deal with it, and I had to deal with the other stuff. So I left, started my own company, and then I was in it for two years, and then ICM called me and said, "Hey, you, we love what you've done. You've been successful. Will you move out to?" And I moved to move out to LA to run our West Coast office, and or of contemporary office, and. Uh, I had just gotten married, just had my first child, started a new bed. It was just inundated, and I wasn't. And I was just thirty, so I was kind of like, "Wow, five-year contract, security, make, you know, making double what I was making." And I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll try that." And my uh, wife said, "Dawn said, uh, I said, what do you think about moving to California?'" She says, "Well, as long as we live at the, live at the beach and buy me a convertible, uh, I'm in." <laughs> That's really what she said. Hey, I that said, I got like a that. Fair deal. Well, that's that's all I got. You gave me instruction. Guess what? I went and bought her a convertible, and we lived at the beach. That's exactly what my wife would have said. That's yeah. perfect. So then I went to ICM for five years, and country was starting to explode. That was a kind of interesting detour because I didn't. The corporate structure, how they had it set up, didn't work really well. And then when country started blowing up, even ICM said, "Hey, what about going to Nashville and starting an office there?" And meanwhile. CAA was flirting around with the idea, too, and I, I jumped ship and joined Ron Baird. And we opened the first office of CAA outside of, uh, outside of Los Angeles in 91, and now we have offices all over the world. So I, I, get a, I have a quote for anyone I have on the podcast. So your, your quote was Albert Einstein, which I think that's, that's a big compliment there, that I give you Albert Einstein. Yeah, quote. probably a little off base. Like but. Amy Mayo got a Hunter S. Thompson quote. So the quote is, there are only two ways to live your life. One is though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as though everything is a miracle. I feel like you live your life as though everything's a miracle. 
So tell us about Ryan. Oh my God, okay. Well, the interesting uh, way Ryan decided to enter this world was I met my lovely bride, it was October 85. I hadn't known her three weeks and she was pregnant. You know, she was 23, I was 29. You know, I'm running a business and I was we were successful. And you know, she's a New York City girl. 23 years old, just got out of college. She's known you for a month. Known me for less than a month. Yeah, less than yeah, a month. Yeah. Like, you're nuts, you're nuts. And so Ryan came into this world July 26th of 86, and uh, we, we started a family. Then we moved to L.A. and spent five years there before we moved to Nashville in 91. And what's funny is I got involved in a lot of charities from, from, from an early, from early, in my early marriage years, and uh Probably at one point was up to seven or eight different boards. My line was, I don't want a wake up call. So what's that? Said, well, so many people start charities after they lose a kid or, you know, start a foundation. And, you know, you almost got, God, were they baited into that happening because of the event? I said, why don't I go do all that stuff so that negative thing doesn't happen to me? And I don't know if it's the whole mystery of time in heaven. When you say eternity, it doesn't mean endless time. It means there is no time. Yeah, agreed. But I think subconsciously, this was going to happen anyway. You know, yeah. I'm sitting there, I don't need a wake-up call. I'm trying to talk down something that's already in the cards. And it gets in that Presbyterian blood of my predestination, yeah. you know. Talked to Sonia Isaacs the other day about the idea that we think that we earned whatever we got. We, we earned the good things. I, I did this. And then we earned the bad things. My you know, I, so if I do good, then I'm not gonna. This nothing bad's gonna happen to me. And that's some, some of the problems I've had in church before, is the pastor. Well, if there's something wrong in your household, there's sin in your life. Which, by the way, there's sin in everyone's life. Yeah. But we feel like uh, getting to where you and I do when you've lost a child, you definitely. I had to come to the point where I didn't earn this. I didn't earn the good things in my life, and I didn't earn the bad things. I definitely made some decisions that there were repercussions from, results from, some good, some bad. But I didn't earn everything that happens. Sometimes it just, you know, nature over nurture or whatever. And, and getting at peace with that, I think, helps everyone to be like, I can't do enough good to not make anything bad happen. And I can't right. do enough bad to not make anything good happen. One thing you got to remember, only one apostle died a natural death. So, right. you know. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, it's you know, we all are on a different journey. And, you know, if you go to St. Jude's and play that card, sin in your life, you when bad things happen, go see yeah. kids who are dying of cancer, and you kind of go, okay, yeah. God, yeah, explain exactly. that to me. You know, right. what's yeah. the mystery of that? But, you know, um, I, you know, I'd say, I mean, life was, life was great growing up, moving here. I mean, I'd, Jason probably give a better account of that. I mean, he and his brother got along great. Well, would they, would they fight every now and then? Absolutely, two testosterone field boys. It's totally normal. Yeah, no, normal. It was so funny because I remember one time they were fighting, and Jason ran his brother into the wall and the steps, and literally the wall concaved in. You know, his freaking nose guard over here took it took his brother down. He was bigger. Jason was bigger than Ryan, I think, when he was eight or something, maybe even younger than that. But it. He's always kind of dominated his, his his older brother. I said, you're paying for that wall. And he came down with a wallet, put all whatever cash he had, he threw the money at me and then walked out of the room. <laughs> he understood the consequences of his yeah, actions. But, but uh, you know, things were great. And, um, I mean, with Ryan, um, Ryan went to Pepperdine, graduated in four years. Um, Jason had a different journey. Jason went to Penn 
play football at an Ivy League school and, and went back his sophomore year, decided not not to play. Probably partied a little bit more than he should have. And I, I remember he said, Dad, I'll get have more time to concentrate on studies. I went, your, your grades are always better in season. Yeah, yeah. Because you're disciplined. <laughs> yeah. You got to, you know. They're, yeah, they make you. Yeah. And, but you got to grow up somehow. And he actually says to me, he said, it's one of the best things I've done for him is I was, I'd paid for four years of college and he wasn't done yet. And I was, I said, I'm done. You can, you're, you're on your own. And, uh, you know, he, he came back and said, look, give me one more chance. And, and, uh, you know, mama said, yeah, we're going to get one. I said, no, this is, and then, and then she, she, she was pushing me one way. He was pushing me. And I just finally went, I said, okay, this is what we'll do. I said, I'll go back. He says, you got to get yourself in. You got to borrow the money, do whatever you got to do. And I said, when you give me your grades, I'll buy back every, I'll buy back your B, A's and B's. That's perfect. Okay. He's, he's, he's trying to negotiate. He said, what about C's? I said, no, no C's. Hey, C's to get degrees. That's what I tell no, my kids. I, didn't course, even, I wasn't doing that. I was no D's and F. I was not paying for C's. I'm paying for A's and B's. Of course, I spent three years in junior college, so I yeah. mean, there's a different there's a different bar being set here. <laughs> he ended up doing. It. I remember, and he graduated and never made less than a beat. You know what I mean? And it's uh, amazing what they can do when you're paying for something, right? You know? Exactly. So you know, I said, "Dang, gum." I tell people, good thing to I said, especially now the cost of college. If you don't have a plan, go do something else. Oh yeah. Oh, Not, yeah. You know, Ryan went to Pepperdine, graduated in four years, and came back and. You know, first we thought he was going to live in California, but he missed Nashville after being in L.A. for four years. And he said, I want to come back to Nashville, and he did. And had several different jobs in the business, and, and last year he was trying to manage some bands. And we got a couple of phone calls saying he was acting funny, he was acting weird. And it was kind of like a kind of some a bipolar attack. And it was March 30th of 2014 is when he actually took his life. And on the 29th of Saturday, we convinced him to come over to the house, and we, we were visiting, and he was uber happy. Super joyful, talked about and what no one gave me instruction, just me going on the internet, you know, was uh, manic euphoria. Was the phrase that the you The opposite put, well, of manic depression? Exactly. Is that, yeah. Exactly the opposite of it. But he was so happy, he was talking about, and he did stuff like saying how he understood what Jesus died for and, and what we as humans are supposed to do and the living experiences. And he, he, he was weird. He had, Two different kind of shoes on, two different kind of socks on, this ugly pair of pants, a mismatched shirt. And he looked like so disheveled. I said, I said why are you dressed like that? It's, it's my um, reverse peacock look. This is this is our tournament and our emblem for our five, our charity. Golf tournament, right, yeah. For, for Ryan. But um, I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, you know, when a peacock, male peacock wants to get laid, he shows his colors. He flashes that and brights to attract and it really doesn't have to do with the soul of the bird. It's, you know, he said, but humans, he says, it's about the soul. It's not about how you look out front. It's about, so I said, so you want to look bad in order to make yourself feel good internally? You know, I couldn't, couldn't quite get it, but he was on a path. And, you know, if that he found joy in it, I went, all right, cool. You know, but yeah. he was, he was uh, explaining this. And he said, yeah, I said, we went and picked flowers for our neighbor. First of all, we're in Nashville. Where do you pick flowers? <laughs> you know, it's like this is the what the lady think. Oh, she was pleased. And I said, and then I went out the other day and saw this kid and asked him if he wanted to speak. He wanted to throw the football, and uh, he lived on Twelfth South. And I was like, 
you see a kid on walking down the street and say, you want to go play football? He says, yeah. He says, but he didn't speak any English. He only said, no, hablé uh, anglais. You know, so he said, I spoke to him in Spanish, and we, we, we pitched the football for two hours. Oh. And I'm like, oh, wow. This is, so he's leaving this carefree, joyful life, and he was explaining all this to me. And I just, it was, I said, would you go share this with a friend of mine? He said, like what, a psychiatrist? I said, well, like a counselor, just because whatever it is, I want you to bottle it up and give it to me. I want this kind of undescribable joy or whatever it was. He said, sure, Dad. So he had to go, and he left. And so meanwhile, I'm calling my psychiatrist friend and go, hey, my son, something's wrong. There's a screw loose here. And he said, I'm too busy. I can't, I can't take any more patients. Could you at least observe him and give recommendations? He said, sure, tell him to come by 11 o'clock on, on Monday. This was now, this was uh, Saturday afternoon after he left. So on Sunday, I called him. I, I, I might have called, I don't know if I called Saturday or Sunday, but I called and just said, hey, I got you an appointment. Here's the address, 11 o'clock. You know, this guy's great. Just go go chat and let's figure this thing out. You know, well, I left that on his voicemail and uh, he shot himself on uh, Sunday. And, uh, and what I th- what we think happened, he just it, the switch flipped, and he went from manic euphoria to manic depression, and uh, just was in a dark spot. And uh, that got revealed th- through stuff we'll talk about later. But that's what ha- basically happened. He had a bad day mm-hmm. and was not in a good place. And and I didn't even know he had a gun. You know, and so I'm I don't I'm believing guns. I'm you know, I lean red on a lot of issues. I lean blue on a lot of issues. And when it comes to guns, I'm very blue. And uh, it was a sad day. And I wouldn't even think I know how to unlock a pistol if I had it in my hand right now. But I'd love if there weren't any guns. But since I, other people I, I have agree. them, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but I get it. Oh, I, by the way, that's an issue I understand both sides of. I'm, um, I'm like you. There's a much bigger chance of something happening with me with my gun than it That's is. That's what I said. I said the, the odds are something negative happened with a gun in my hand versus something positive. 100%. You know? Yeah. Oh, how old was Ryan? I, I, 27. My wife didn't think it was a good idea. I wanted to do a painting and call it 27 and put Ryan in a picture with... Dennis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix. Keep going. Uh, That's a bunch of them, right? Uh, Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse, 27. Uh, Kurt Cobain was 27. There's a couple more. Wow. I thought I'd put him in a montage. And my wife looked at me like, man, I'm not going to do that. I, I can see both sides of that one. I mean, it's a tough yeah. one. It, it's, it's interesting, too. I mean, we, we'll probably get into more of that. But like the, this, this stigma that, I don't know. I don't know if it was exactly preached when I was a kid in Baptist church. But like, you didn't commit suicide. You want to hell or whatever that thing. Correct. I always thought, well, who had a worse day than the person that did that? I just, I know a God with the grace that's just so much bigger and wider than that. I'm like, that's, that doesn't, no, that doesn't, that doesn't jive at all with me because that person had a really, really bad day and God's comfort and grace are with that soul in a way that I couldn't, uh, you know, I, I, I was, would never accept that again. The God of our, of our understanding and God of creation would send someone to hell because they were so desperate that they'd take their life. My son's in hell. I want to go to hell be with him. Okay? As Christians, the life that we profess of going in the afterlife does really exist. The veil between this life and the next is really thin. That we will reunite. You know, a lot of times we hear that, and I think we think of it in the figurative sense. Like it's a nice thing. Oh, you know, oh, you'll be see your mom and dad again, you'll see your kid again. And do you really think you will? 
you know, and that's, and I know for a fact I will. When Ryan passed, the community really rallied behind us well. One of the frustrating part was when um, trying to figure out the church we belonged to only sat like 250 people. And I said, there's going to be more than 250 people. we got to find a different place to do it. And I went to his alma mater high school and asked them, and, and they rejected it, wouldn't let, uh, let the service happen there because he committed suicide and thought that would be the ideation of that would create a follow-up or you know, and, you know, it's a tough thing to do. It's like as soon as you, you know, the t- type A personality that I am, you know, it's like I lost a son. Oh, now I got to play. Uh, now I got to plan a funeral yeah. or I got to I got to plan a service. And then you don't want to glorify what happened. But then again, too, you don't you want to talk about the blessings that he was to your life and to the world. And you want to look at the good part of it. So it's like, God, man, it's such a fine line on how to how to move forward. Christian high school, obviously. Yeah. Or they wouldn't have a problem. Yeah. It's interesting with me, Christian music. You're into that. You're very involved. But I did Christian music before. Christian church and high school, we we can't love on you and your absolute most needed time that you should be taken care of. And I assume that you were probably knowing you, you were very involved and probably donated and helped this school along. And your absolute worst day, we can't be there for you because of how things might look. Does that piss right. you off? Yeah, and, and they were there, but they just didn't want a public facing of that. And, yeah. and um, they suggested a certain church that could hold hold the hold the service. And I said, no, I've got it covered. So Ryan, you know, the school had a graduation ceremonies at at, um, at Brentwood Baptist, and so I went to Michael in and said, hey, could I hold my? He said, absolutely. I said, just tell me what I owe. He says, nothing. And here I am giving the Baptist a hard time. That's yeah, wonderful. Michael Lynn yeah. was fantastic, yeah. and Brentwood Baptist was fantastic. And uh, I just do it for fun, by the way, giving yeah. the Baptist a hard time. Now, I know he's a great guy. We had over, I think it was over 1,200 people, wow. people at the service. It was a meaningful thing. And I mean, you know, and you could think, well, am I going to be able to talk? Do I want to talk? And I kind of planned it out that, that gave me a window, and I was telling um, Michael. W. Smith was on the piano, I think, at the time. And I gave him a trigger to say he was doing a song. And I said, when you finish, before you cut it in the next song, I'll gave him a trigger to say, if I'm not heading up, I'm not coming. You know, gave, I had the same thing, I'll tell you. After. Gave me the latitude, of, and I just, like, I got to honor my kid. So I, mean, I, I can't believe I held up and, and spoke and did it. I had a, just a, not to interrupt, but I see so, so similar. I had a, a, the priest, I said, I said, I think I need to speak probably. And he goes, why don't you, because I know it seems like it now. He goes, why don't we just play it better? Why don't you write something out, have it typed, and I'll read it. If you feel like you want to do it, you can just decide on the fly once you get there, because people think they want to talk. And I said, okay, that sounds good. So I, I wrote something up, I typed it, and I gave the priest a copy of it, and, and uh, he's a great friend. And, uh, I walked in and there's a big, big picture of Sage. He and I went to the Grand Canyon for his 21st birthday and it's just big, huge brown eyes he got from his mom are looking right at me. And I literally, like I walked into the first row and it's as it's a blur and it's all that. And I mean, he looked right at me and I could hear him go, if you got something to say, get your ass up there and say it yourself. And so we, we were going to wait till right before the time. And this is, we had sat down, this is 40 minutes from happening that the person right. to me. And he looked at me and I went, I just pointed to me like, no, I'm doing this. I feel like that decision in that moment 
was the reason we're sitting here doing this podcast right now, which is the reason we have our dad's group that you're a part of. Because I felt like at that moment, it's like, am I gonna be proactive about this? Am I gonna let this hit me or am I gonna go hit it first? Um, and as you know, we got, I mean, there's just two ways to go about this. We could be curled up in the fetal position for- Or you ride the wave. Or you could ride the wave and, and we'll go out. I mean, like you say, finish your life. You have some great uh, one-liners about that, but finish your life journey well. And I, I really do believe like that moment, um, it was- And Sage is there cheering for you. Right. I don't know if it was like euphoric, but I felt a power come on me in that moment that I feel like if I had missed that, I really would have missed something yeah. uh, significant in this in this hall. Pretty grateful for that for that moment. I mean, he was it was clear as day. He was like, get get up there and say what you got to say. It was no doubt in my mind. So it's, I love your story because it's I had the same. Yeah, moment. and then you sit there and go, every day needs to be like that, right. you know, and which is stuff to do. It's really yeah. easy, kind of get in a groove and, and live life, but you know, the, the whole community rallied around and somebody took a. Um, you know, um, a calendar and spread out. And you signed up for a day to bring food, you know. And so we had it for f food for months. And, you know, it's Dawn and I, and they'd bring you food for 10 people. And you're, so we had a freezer full of stuff and all this stuff. And after about two weeks or something, we're looking at each other and go, we need to get out of the house. You know, it's like, I'm... Stop eating. Well, no, I'm just, I need to see somebody other than you. You know, yeah. I need to... So we kind of looked at our closest friends and we'd call them up and say, hey, instead of you bringing food over, can we just come over and eat at your house, you know? And Bert and Santa Stein were one of the couples and it was, I think we were there April 20th or April 19th. Bert's the manager who lost his He lost son. his son, Adam. Adam. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's really interesting because you, you think you're being there for your friends and then when you kind of join that club, you know, you really weren't because you really couldn't because they don't know. You know, I so I said, that experience. It's unbelievable. I had to call and apologize, even though I was there when, um, well, when um, Stephen Curtis lost his daughter. You know, I was at, I went to the hospital. I saw her laying on the on the in the Vanderbilt Hospital dead, and I just, you know, you can be there for him, but you're not really there for him just because you can't you can't suffer the same way they suffer until you go to what we go to. And um, so I, I called Stevenson. Oh, you an apology? I said I didn't show you. No, and they said, no you don't owe an apology. And so you don't know what you don't know until you know. Until you know it, yeah, yeah. But uh, Bert and Santa and I were we were talking. Oh, the day they they had lost Adam, and uh, who had a freak? Oh, the like the Buffalo Bills player, the heart thing, and yeah, 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 yeah. Demar Hamlin, yeah, yeah. That same thing happened. Basketball, to, right? Basketball, yeah. one in rin sprints. He just run a rin sprint, just boom, hit the deck. If there had been a defibrillator there, they might have been saved. But um, he passed away, and and what happened was, I think a year, uh, six months into it or whatever, he got a call. Bert got a call from a buddy of his in Chicago. And uh, he says, look, you know me, I'm not that religious. I said, yeah. He said, well, we had, uh, <laughs> excuse me, he had gotten married late in life, his buddy did, and they had twins. And these older older couple, first-time kids having a hard time, went shopping for a nanny and got in, and, uh, a nanny. She came in, and she came at night and said, look, let me come at night, so I'll take care of the baby so y'all sleep. And... And so that sounds great. So uh, the first night, 
Oh, they slept great. They woke up. The nanny goes, Woo, y'all had a guest last night. What do you mean we had a guest? He said, Yeah. He said, Well, he didn't wake us up. No, no, not that kind of guest. What do you mean? He says, Well, did you did you have a friend who lose a son just recently, somewhere from down south or something like that? Oh, yeah, I did. He's basketball. He said, Well, he came. He showed up. What do you mean he showed up? Well, his spirit. And they're like kind of semi-freaked out. That wasn't in her resume. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And so they were like, he said, yeah. He said, um, well, okay. He said, yeah, they re- he really wants to talk to his, to his, uh, to his family. Well, do they come to you? No, I don't do that. But there's a lady in Indiana, in, uh, in, uh, Indiana I can t- t- turn you to. So this guy who's pretty agnostic, you know, it's calling Bernie, go, all right, you're going to think I'm nuts. But he tells the whole story. They get the number of Indiana, and somebody says, my son, their son wants to talk to him. Boom, they got in a car, and they drove to Indiana, and they had this hugely great experience there. And one of the funny, one of the funny, one of the blessed stories, I should say, is the night that we lost Ryan, Bert and Santa come over to the house, and and in my tears, the first thing I, I said, how fast can I get to Indiana? (laughs) <laughs> you know how fast he lives. He says he pat me on the back. Says, "Well, there'll, there'll be plenty of time. There'll be plenty of time." He says, "No, it's not. I want to go now." Yeah. So that's the night of March 30th. We're at their house on April 19th, and he goes, um, "We're having dinner, and we're talking about different stuff." And then Bert goes like this, and he goes, gets up, walks his room, came. I, th- I think this card's for you. And he hands me a business card. It is Aaron, the angel reader. Well, that's, you don't use, use the word medium. It's an angel reader. That's, it is. That's, um, the card says, yeah. Much more comfortable for a Baptist. Yeah, right. <laughs> much more comfortable. It's all what we call yeah. it. It's all in semantics. Right. I call, I think it was 3 o'clock on a Monday. She picks up the phone in a very nervous, hello? I said, Aaron? Yeah. I said, you don't know me. Uh, I've lost a son. My name is John Huey. And I said, I... I'm curious. And somebody said, you could probably help me out. She goes, I reached out for Ryan and it was irritably quiet was the first thing she said. And I'm thinking, Aaron, the angel reader, irritably quiet. He committed suicide. Oh shit. Why did I make this phone call? Mm-hmm. Why did I do this? And then I, meanwhile, dialing the phone, trying to get Dawn on the phone because I have two phones on my desk. So she'd have speakers. She, we could put them on speakerphone and participate. I went to voicemail. So, um, she goes, she said, Aaron said, well, the first thing she wants you to, you to, you to know, you know she's, Ryan is bringing yellow roses, asking for forgiveness. And he wants you, his mom, and his brother, Jay. Well, I didn't say he had a brother, it was Jason, but Ryan would call him J-Bo. You know, we would all call him J-Bo as a, kind of a loving expression. And brother Jay, and Aaron said, asking for forgiveness, um, they had a bad day, but heaven is far greater than anything you can read in a book or see in a movie. Because I, I always love the after life after life books, and I've always explored all of that. So, um, so I'm I'm thinking, well, she got the brother thing right, but yellow roses. She goes, she asked me, what's the significance of yellow roses? I, said, I have no clue. She goes, well, it must be for mom. I said, well, flowers really aren't my wife's love language, but okay. And then she goes. He's, poor, he's got a picture of a black uh, of a black car. He goes, wants to know, what are you doing about the black car? And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> so 
a couple weeks earlier, Jason and I are riding, and he's getting ready to graduate from Belmont. And one of the things, Ryan, that we had, like I said, we had saw Ryan the day before he passed. And one of the things he had said was that he had met with Ford and was trying to get the Ford dealership to lease him out for an inexpensive or free a Ford Fusion. Um, and that was going to be his vehicle that he and his client were going to ride around and go to go to shows with. And I said, well, why are we going to get it free? He said, well, I do GoPro ads you know, on the road in Ford Fusion, and he had it, and it was, it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty aggressive. I said, well, and I always always said, anything you need from me, let me know. But um, so I'm like, why Ford Fusion? And, you know, he said, well, it looks like a Maserati, but it's under 30 grand, and it burns regular gas. I went, finally, my oldest son is getting a little practical here. <laughs> so I said, sounded good here. So Jason and I are riding, and... Um, I asked Jason, I said, Jason, what do you know about a Ford Fusion? And he he figured out exactly what where I was going. He goes, he said, I think that's a perfect car for a college graduate. <laughs> so I go, I said, well, what was your favorite color? He goes, black. <laughs> I said, what was Ryan's favorite color? Black. And I thought for a second, I said, well, I hadn't talked to your mom about this yet. But if we do this, I'll do it in one condition. He said, what's that? He said, you got to share the car with your brother. While I'm on this phone call typing the car guy I use yeah. and said, I need a black Ford Fusion ASAP. You know, <laughs> let me know, you know, get the best deal you can. But whatever I owe you, I'll write you a check, you know. I think, I think it was two within two weeks we had a Ford Fusion. But, you know, here's Ryan pointing at a car. She's tell, asking She's asking me, what's the significance of a black car? So the black car thing all happened before you talked to her? No, no. He, he I had said, if we do this, but I hadn't done it. You know, it was almost like, you know, <laughs> you know Ryan, we wanted a Ford Fusion. You know, I Jason said, hey, great gift for a college graduate. Hey, and he, he wanted black. Ryan's favorite car was black, and Ryan's pointing at a picture of a black car going, what are you going to do about the black car? So it was like, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. You know, and and um, the funny thing, Jason tells stories about in the, in the early first couple of days. He he said, Dad, I, I could feel his presence on the car. He says, I'm, when there's a radio, a song come on the radio station, I didn't know who he doesn't like, I would change the station. I said, well, he could probably change the station too <laughs> yeah. if he wanted to. Well, he's, that would be a little bit And he's sharing this story with a couple of the friends that, that he'd had in the car, and they're like going, do I need to get in the back seat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Am I taking Ryan's chair? You're on his lap. So, and then, and then, and then Aaron goes, she another thing, she goes, well, when your wife pulls the blue, the blue blanket over her, that's Ryan hugging his mom. And we're going like blue blanket hugging mom. And so, oh, so when when she reads on the back porch, when you, when you're, when his mother reads on the back porch and she puts the blue blanket over her, that's Ryan hugging his mom. Well, we have a back porch and my wife reads there every day. You know, so she's not making this stuff up. So figuring out, okay, blue blanket. We go get a blue blanket out of the closet. We go take it in the, into the reading room and all this other stuff. Well, a week later, we get a package in, in the mail. We open it up. It's a hand-knit blue shawl that came from our uh, our old church. Uh, long and short of it is, and then um, 
we we get on the call for about an hour and um and then she um and then when I finish and I leave to go to the dinner, I walk out in the lobby and in the lobby, I called her at three. She returned to call at six. At four o'clock, we have a flower person and a, a florist that comes in and does arrangement. There was a big vase of two dozen yellow roses that got delivered at four o'clock. <laughs> That's sitting in the office. And I, I buckled. I went to the ground. My knees folded. I went to the ground and I was like, Unbelievable. You know, even if it was bullshit, I love that kind of bullshit. Some of the concerns spiritually when people have, if you, if you go and you live in that, try to live in that world now, you know. You're not going to live in this yeah, one? Yeah, that's the kind of the negative negative part, I think. But uh, but to, to get up, so like a year goes by, you know, uh, well, we started a cherry tournament. This is my, like I said, in the emblem of, of our golf tournament and um, the Peacock Invitational. And uh, we now do a retreat for parents who've lost kids at on-site. And we do it every year, and it's packed. In fact, it's oversold. And we're doing a second one out. They just started an on-site in California. Oh, wow. And there's going to be 20 people. There'll be 40 people here, 50 people here, and 20 people there. So Life after loss. That's pretty amazing. Uh, but the first two years, um, we had a relationship with, a, with a, an Orthodox priest and um, he came, he was actually, his idea is, let's start a guitar project. And he said, you know, so we got together and had a conversation, and we, guitars, not guns. And we, I bought 80 Taylor, uh, mini Taylors, and we sent them to Jordan, and we started two schools for music schools. I hired two teachers. And the whole idea was to get Jews, Christians, and Muslim kids together to write songs. You know, and like I love how you're the perfect mix of conservative and and liberal, all all washed into one. It's yeah. it's, it's it's refreshing to me. So, it doesn't even matter where you are. It's just I'm not I'm not being stereotyped, and that's great. It's all. Well, I have to get instead of let's let's write music, let's sing songs, and not shoot each other. You know, that was the whole idea. So I told. Not a terrible idea. Yeah. So I told, uh, I, I always said as we were working through this, I said, well, in five years, we'll either be on 60 Minutes or this won't ha- will be happening. You know, and uh, I, was on the, I was on the CMA Foundation Board for, and the CMA Board for years, and uh, they were very generous in contribu- contributing. And, but after the first year, analytics got to kick in. And so it was like I was given instruction on what they need to see to keep doing it, and I didn't really meet it, but they said, okay, we're giving you another check this year, but we didn't need to see results or you won't get one a third year, which was a nice kick in the ass. I'm kind of like, hey, as long as you're doing good, you know, but analytics. So I was telling this, this, this priest, I said, look, if you can't deliver the goods, he said, well, it's the Middle East, it's different. I said, well, then great, the, the money's going to dry up. I, I can't, you know, I can only tap dance so long. And you got to see progress, and you got to build on it. And then, um, and uh, the one good blessing too is this priest allowed uh, Jason uh, gave him the opportunity to go to the island of Athos in Greece for thirty days. He went over there after Ryan's passing to kind of regroup and and recalibrate and, and start anew and. And it's a wonderful experience. And one thing I'll say about the Abbot there, and you can yell out, my, my son is here in the room, but he, uh, he, uh, 
he got called to see the abbot. As my understanding is, the abbot has been there. It's like 80-something years old. has been on this island for 60 years and doesn't meet with quote-unquote pilgrims. Never left the island in 60 years. Something like that. And Yeah, and uh, but doesn't communicate with the pilgrims. And he's... Any, any, us. any us. Yeah. We're a pilgrim. Jason was a pilgrim. He's yeah. not He's not a monk. Yeah. If you're not, not a okay. monk, you're visiting the island, you're a pilgrim. Okay. And so Jason had a handler or a guy responsible to kind of see him through the, the experience. And um, he said, the abbot's asked for the Tennessee pilgrim. And uh, so Jason goes and sees him. And the monk says, this is just to let you know that your, your brother had a bad day, made a mistake, but he's with Jesus in paradise. Hmm. And said, Dad, you know, if I could push a button and have him pop back here right now, I wouldn't. Why Why would I? He's with Jesus. Okay. I, and as we said the other night, I'd be pushing that button. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I'm I'm so, I don't care. I'm yeah. sorry. Pal. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. want my son yeah. back here, you know. I'm selfish. If there, is a, if there is a button, I'm pushing it, but it does give me solace in the idea that if I were actually wise, serene, and peaceful, and connected with God like I want to be, I wouldn't push the button. I'd love to get to the day where I wouldn't push the button and bring him back. I don't know if I ever get there. It's the shock of, of losing anyone, the, you know, we always say you're in trauma and you're in shock on losing a child. So we said to our friend John, you know, last week, you know, says, you're in shock. And it's like when my therapist told me you're in shock, I didn't get it. She says, you know, you ever see the story of people get their legs shut off and they're looking for their leg to put it back on and they, don't, they can't feel it? Yeah. And then about, a, you know, 10 minutes later, you know, I said, this is it. You, you have about a six-month, nine-month window of we're being protected. It's, 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 a, it's out of not belief that we really lost our kid. You know, this really didn't happen. And I say it's like a swell, like a swelling. I broke my ankle one time, and, and it, it wasn't really that painful. And I was like, you're so tough, whatever. I'm like, oh, I wasn't that bad. And then I got the surgery, and it wasn't that bad. And, and they put a plate and seven screws in my ankle, and I think this is fine. And then... The local wore off, or the you know, and and it wasn't and it wasn't swollen anymore, and it was and pain was unbelievable, and I think that we have a swelling of us. We had a, in our dad's group last week. We had a dad that was like a week lost his daughter a week before, and you told him, "You're in shock." He's like, "I don't know if I'm in shock." And trust me, you're in shock, and you you know, we don't even at the at the time we don't know it. Now that I look back, I remember the feeling of just almost feeling like I was floating above the seam looking at it because I was so completely not in my, you know. And having a hard body. time to put, wrapping the head around. <clears throat> that I think I remember what happened. standing going around and saying, yeah, I'm, we're nine years in, we're eight years here, and that was a little depressing. And I said, well, it's depressing but also healthy. You know, you'll, you'll never not miss your kid, you know. 50 years down the line, you're going to miss your your kid. Yeah, yeah. and, and so, honestly, it's helpful to me to know that when I look at you and and – Mike Flynn and some of the other guys in our group, that it's been a long time. And I can say, um, John Phillips, my buddy, there's just a lot of guys around that 10-year spot. And I'm like, I, okay, I don't need to look for something that's not there. Like, I'm not trying to get over. I don't want to get over it, for one thing. And I want to move on. Um, I want to move forward, whatever that, whatever that might mean. But it definitely, uh, the affliction of what's happened to us has already happened. Um, we don't want to be in this group, but we're in it regardless. So we might as well get together and share it. And to be honest, that is when the pain dissipates. That's why we're here to doing this today. And in this 
this podcast will rotate and theme, you know, as we go around. But it's really based around the idea of just being together with someone who suffers from something that you do makes that dissipate to a certain right. extent. Not not completely. No. Doesn't disappear. Doesn't go away. But when we share it with each other, and it's well, in recovery, and, so and you're building, and you're building community. You're building community. Like you said, John, when we. Because I knew we talked about loss, loss, loss. And when he said his suicide, I had to say, my son committed suicide too. And, you know, and then I know he's in heaven. You know? I do too. I do too. You know? I really do. What's this? I mean, I, when I say the stigma, I don't, I don't give a shit anymore what people's right. stigma is about. I'm going to talk about God and cuss on the same podcast. And if you have a huge problem with that, you're yeah. probably in the wrong spot. Don't listen I, to Bono's book. Yeah. I just... The, the the idea of suicide, like I said earlier, what did you did you struggle with that? Because obviously you weren't expecting this in any way. Because it's funny because people could believe that in church, and if their child has a problem with depression and there's something there, they change their attitude about that. Yeah, it's like when we're presented with the option. Did you have any? A little bit, but not a lot of bit. And it, just dealing with the school thing. That's yeah, 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 and just trying to formalize a concept for assuming. Uh, a service to honor him without, you know. I don't think anyone's glorifying suicide. Right. I mean, I guess you could, but there's, there was no danger of that. Well, it's just, it's just, yeah, because you don't want to promote it and think, hey, here's an option for you. You know, that's the one thing you don't want to do. But he just, I think he felt stonewalled down here and was, you now he thinks he can get more done up there. So his his journey, his life journey was shorter. Yeah, you know, and if and God can use everything to His glory, He can use everything to His glory. There isn't, you know, just, just not little bits, and we want to pick that out. I love how um, how positive you are. Not like positive in in versus negative is one thing, but also positive as in sure of where He is. It's super helpful to the when we get together and we talk. Your attitude towards this, and when someone's like, oh, well, I'm, "I'm just hoping," and you're like, "No, no, no, don't worry. He's good," and you. Uh, your positivity, but also you're absolutely sure of what's happening. And it helps me a lot, and it helps him a lot. I know that you and Don take uh, uh, pieces of, of him with you, and you take ashes and spread them when you travel. And and uh, Michelle and I have done that a little bit and uh, put ashes in different places that we, you know, uh, went to the Grand Canyon, and then we, we got a, a place in Florida that we it's uh, very special, and we, we put some there. And, and um, it just it really helps. That the way that you are, you're proactive. I'm very grateful to uh, to you for for how how you're doing this journey and how you help guys like me. Um, and the Life After Loss program and on-site, it's just amazing stuff. Your son's still alive. Yeah, no, it's I, I never feel better about it than there's uh, there's a few of guys in there. Uh, our friend Jimmy Lee and and but you're just that's the the presence present tense that you speak about them in. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's very here, and it makes, it keeps me from missing it so much. Well, let me connect the dot one more further. So we're sitting here, and we do the two, first two years tournament. We have the guitar thing, and I call up Miles um, Adcock, who who's owns on-site, and I said, can we get, can I meet for lunch? And before we got started, uh, Dave Corlew, who managed Charlie Daniels when he was still alive, he walks in, said hello and everything, and I had forgotten, because I was on the, on the, um, on-site board that they had created a program for for vets, a special program for vets. And I'd gotten Charlie's Charity, I connected Charlie's Charity with on-site to help fund it. And so I forgot it already happened. So I looked at Miles and I went, 
I forgot to ask, how did the vet's program go? He said, and then Miles started getting teary-eyed. He said, it was unbelievable. So we did research and we created, you know, a special program. We took our normal um, LCP, LCP, I always get my initials mixed up. They're my normal program that we do went and focused <coughs> certain things that for vets, because, you know, there's only certain things a vet can understand. And I leaned over and I said, you mean like a parent who's lost a child? And he went, that's a great idea. So instead of Ryan's garden, I already told him about the garden that we'd pay at the garden. He said, instead of Ryan's garden, we'll start Ryan's Grove. And we'll do a retreat for parents with lost kids. And then we'll plant trees in the honor honor of uh, of the kids who, who died. <clears throat> and I said, Miles, you have no idea whatsoever. We don't, there's no tombstone for Ryan. We planted a dogwood tree with half his ashes. And every and, he, and our ideas to on his anniversary is plant trees in his honor with his ashes. So wow. we're in on that. I go, I go. I said, uh, looked at the calendar. I said, Mar- it, it, the program was at that time was Friday to Friday. I said, is March 23 to 2:30 open? That was 23 through 30. Was a Friday to Friday. He said, "Yeah." I said, "And this is in October." I said, "That's our week." And, and thirty was Ryan's anniversary, fourth fourth year of his passing, and it was Good Friday. So that's how we kicked off the Life After Loss program. So that's in. So this will be our eighth year, I think, of doing it. So it's been a blessing, and and. It, the, the, the different people, I think three years ago, there's an African-American couple who, the opening, Dawn and I, we both went through the program the first year, and two years ago, Dawn went again. She says, I really feel compelled to go again. I said, are you okay if I don't? Because I don't feel compelled to go. She goes, absolutely not. I'd rather go with a girlfriend who's a Val, a friend who lost her son. I said, great, go do that, y'all go there. But she and I have both had gone to the, the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony of each year. So um, just to see and introduce and tell the people why we did it and then go celebrate their experience. And so I remember, and this this happened more than once, but I remember this black couple and, and um, we go around and introduce yourself and you introduce your child in the first person. We believe your, son, your, your child is with us in this room. And uh, the lady was talking about, and the husband was talking about how he was there for his wife. And the wife had her arm around her husband, and she and, he, and she's pointing at him like, "No, this is about him," you know, like he's doing that manhood thing, and she's pointing like this, like that, and and um, so uh, um, I went up. You know, at the at the closing, I just went up, just went up, hey, how was your week? Knowing that I, had, I didn't have any other further conversations about that. He turned around, I gave him this huge bear hug and said, you saved my life. <laughs> you know, 
That's awesome. Usually we get at least one of those a year. Interesting to me always the the man the manhood thing we don't talk about it. Come on, get get out of here with that shit. Right. The, the manly thing to do is do the uncomfortable part. Sit down, talk about it, cry, be a man. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, just just hold up in my in my basement chair with a with a bottle of Jack Daniels. That would be my easy way. That's not the right. tough way. That's the unmanly um, thing. We gotta drop that. Um uh but we've been, yeah, somehow it's been ingrained to like like my 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 father's a great guy, but the, his generation they just didn't talk about anything. Right, they just they didn't have the things that we have, and it's just it's ridiculous. I can't live without some sort of device in my hand or the TV on or something like that. But you know, if you can shut all that down and meditate and pray and and live in solitude, you get veil. a lot. You get a lot closer to yeah. It thins to, the veil. I noticed that the more, the more of that crap going on, the thicker the veil gets. And the more I'm like, wait, I'm worked up. I wasn't even concerned about this before. I want to wipe it off the table and get back to this. Then there is a simplicity thing. I don't know if I'd want to start my career with this perspective, but I, I do not need as much. Right. I need, in fact, I need the idea of like less. And I don't just mean like less things or less money. I mean like less distraction from right. just being me. I sit there, yeah, the TV on in the background, I don't need that anymore. Right. I like to walk in silence, something. I'll go hike and just like nothing. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And and you're, um, you know, we get to learn from each other. Uh, you're, you're the way you do, the things that you do. It's inspiring to other people and you've helped a lot of people. But this experience is probably helping you go, oh, I can have no phone in my hand and no TV on or whatever because that's to me when I get close to my son is when when there's some peace and silence and yeah I'm you keep saying of what I've done and what I've done like in the, the, your short journey in this between what you and your wife have gone through and how you've given back to the community and started um started this fellowship with men and women and moms and dads um is is I think remarkable that sped your journey up quicker. Your healing has been sped up by that. No and, doubt. Uh, you know, and it's so funny because one thing you share when you go around and, you know, you hear the stories of, of, of how people, who they've lost and what they've lost. And, you know, it was a couple last year who came and, you know, they lost their two kids and... Their parents died in a car. Their their parents. So grandma and grandpa had their two kids, and the four of them died in a car wreck. So you not only, you know, you just go, oh my god, or, well, yeah. And I go, I get glory the fact that Ryan didn't, you know, all these mass shootings. He he wouldn't imagine having to live with if your kid killed someone else, you know. And I just, you know, but, you remember the guy in our group that lost two children six weeks apart. Yeah, I mean, that a few a few months ago he came in, and we're like. Oh my gosh! And both killed. Yeah, yeah, both were both killed. killed. Yeah, both, both were two murdered. separate instances. Yeah. Both were murdered. Oh. And you just go, oh my god, I'm 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 a blessed man. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I mean it is. This perspective is an amazing thing. And if we believe what we believe, I always say that. We, yeah, we can. That's that's why I love your proactive assurance and whatever. And then somebody else will give. The um, just the group is just full. It's a very very diverse group of people. With one thing in common, and that one thing in common isn't really just the loss of the kid. It's the hope that you know we kind of hand to each other, and we I borrow a little bit of yours, and you borrow a little bit of somebody else's, and we all for yeah. some reason at the potluck dinner of what we bring into this, we, we all seem to leave with more than we came from. 
Christy Cookies. Um, um, Chris, he's um, he when uh, he lost a um, a kid on, on a mo- he lost his son on a motorcycle accident, and it was before Ryan passed. And he came to the service for Ryan, and he was, you know, when I get the receiving line before the before the service, is um, he was the one guy that gave something unique that resonated with me. I mean, it's interesting because you go through a thousand people and they all, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss. I I walked away going, I got to come up with something better than that. And so I really, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry is, was a word I've tried to avoid using when someone experienced a loss. I try to come up with something that's unique to that situation. But Chris calls up and gives me this big, huge hug and said, bro, what? Put on your seatbelt for a roller coaster, spiritual roller coaster of your life. And yeah, um, find other people that that are in your shoes because it's it's. I can't imagine not having you and my other brothers in this room. I can't not imagine. I can't imagine have, not having some of the couples, some of the women that, for my wife. Like find those people. If there's two or three, whatever it is, um, I don't care what you got to do. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of healing in it and. Uh, well, I got my son here. I'm going to talk about the siblings of people who lost kids. Yeah, we're going to have a we're going to have oh, a sibling okay. show on this podcast. We're still establishing what we're. You what think we're anything doing. else I left out or anything? Yeah, nine years, and we're still we're still hanging. It's so nice to think of him still as a person, you know. And I, like you know, talk about him shooting himself, him. Struggling, you know, I got a text from him the day before he shot himself saying, you know, because I, I was the one seeing his Facebook posts and they were really all over the place and super positive and a little ranty. And I was like, hey, Ryan, what's going on? Like, how are you doing? And, and I don't follow any of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew something was up. And the last text I got from him was, you know, even made a joke in the last text he ever sent me. It was a, uh, it was like a, he was doing a play of a Backstreet Boys lyric that was, uh, I want to hear you say, like, everything's okay. But he did like the parentheses and filled out the Backstreet Boys lyric. I forget it because I don't know the song. Um, and I text him back, like, you know, love you. I think you're good. Just, I think we got to, talk to some people about what's going on and that text showed up green and he's got an iPhone. So it was blue. And I was like, Oh, I was needing something like this. Cause I've, I felt this buildup where you don't let it out for a while. You're like, fuck, I need someone to like poke me here and let, let my guts out. Yes. You know, and <clears throat> it's nice to do it around people that have yeah. experienced the same shit. And, um, yeah, I'm. I'm thankful you guys are are doing this. This is great. I think more people need to talk about it because that that manly thing and holding it inside and yeah, the responses from the people like, holy shit, I lost my brother nine years ago and I've never talked to anyone about it. Or uh, we lost two. T- whatever it is, all this, all those things. When they hit us, it's not like oh, I enjoyed your podcast. It's like. The, the responses we get, and I'm like, man, there's a hole 
in the world for this. Forget business and whatever's going on. There's a hole in the world for this. And uh, <clears throat> it doesn't fix it, but man, it addresses it at least. Yeah. That hole is somewhat filled in with God instead of like all the other shit we're going to put it with me. It can be TV and, you know, it comes in waves. Yeah, and it takes turns. You know, it's your wife one one day, then come in crying. You know what's going on, and come in, you be crying, and and you don't. Remember, we used to try to fix it. Like, all right, well, how can I make you stop crying? No, let them cry as much as they want. Just be there for them. Got to ride the wave. You got to ride the wave because people fight the wave. You know, and if you fight the wave, you never get to shore. You ride the wave, that wave will take you to shore. You know, and um, you really. Um, See it's there and and and, and take it in, but um, um, I was just gonna say back to Amy Grant has been a client of mine for thirty eight years. You know, um, she came over and um, uh, first of all, she said, "The day of your service is, is I want that to be my meal day." You know, and um, anything you say, Amy, you know, you can have, you know, and. Uh, the day I she cooked a roast and and salmon and vegetables and wine and she a meal for fifty people that she cooked. You know she didn't order from a caterer or for you know that's probably what I would have done. You know, and she drove it to my house by herself. And she said, can you mind helping me get the food out of the car? I go in there, there's a huge sand, you know, all this food. And earlier when she came and sat with me on the porch and just being present, I'm just saying that if you've got any people you know, I had a really close friend and really we don't have much of a relationship now. He's a really strong Christian who just didn't show up, didn't call, didn't write, and said he was giving me my space. I don't want space. You got to run to these people. You got to run to these people. And I said, you know, Amy sat there and we didn't talk probably for an hour. We just sat on the, on the porch. And I, and I hope that I hope this sounds the way I feel it is that, you know, Ryan trying to be in the business and and not hitting his stride. And not to say that I had the perfect. You know, like I said, I started off my thing at nine years old. I knew I wanted to be behind the scene. And, you know, I had a pretty good career. And uh, so I didn't know if he was just walking. One day he woke up tired. Or I do believe there's a chemical imbalance that happened that day, you know, from the manic euphoric to the manic depression. There was a biological thing involved. And when he had an autopsy, he had no drugs in his system. So, you know, there was a huge mental capacity uh, component of this deal so but I asked Amy and I asked do you think it's ever tough with your kids that you're Amy Grant and she looked and she started weeping you know and just said every day you know it's a different kind of tough but I can tell you this from the amount of therapy that I've done <clears throat> which is not a ton but it's got it that, that Ryan did not die from you being successful and yeah. we have to learn to give ourselves the, we, we can, boy, that's really, we dig in hard to find where we were responsible for this. And um, the truth is, um, in our situation with our son, we did a lot. We did a lot. We did the best I could. I was sober for a lot of years based on that. And I used to have a thing. My kid is kind of like you did with your charities. My kid's not dying from drugs and alcohol. 
I'm gonna beat this thing up every day of my life. I'm gonna get up every day, it's one day at a time, but it's every day. <clears throat> I'm gonna beat this thing up and that's not how my son's gonna die. And the truth is, I didn't have control of that. Right. Um, that, was not, that was not up to me. And I don't think I was going, I'm gonna show you this. God shows me what I need, the time I need it, and I'm gonna trust him that he'll show me the next thing when I need to do that. And maybe that's on the other side of this. Yeah. It's kind of struggles. Sometimes you hear these, you know, these kids that come out and they want to be successful. They want to be a better dad. I'm going to be a great dad because my dad sucked. You know, all this negative stuff, I'm going to rise above it. So it gives them a certain energy to surpass what it is. Kind of Heck, who knows? Just be who you are. And, and what kid doesn't have some issue with their parents? I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it just is. And I believe me, I, I already am like, I can, I can almost give my kids' therapists a list of things. Here's what they're going to talk about. We're going to, you know, but. We nobody loves those those children more than more than we do. Yeah. We can't, and that's what the thing we have in our group is that the, the, there's we don't have to explain to someone how much we miss our kid or how much right. we love our kid, or because everyone knows. And we don't look at the guy next to us and feel shame. No, yeah. Regardless of the the event, the reason that they're gone, the length of time, there, there is no. It's amazing to me the similarities between someone who lost a young child. And a eighty-year-old who lost a sixty-year-old. The, the order of losing a parent, losing a child, is just not the right order. Right. And there's something very relatable about. And it, and it doesn't seem to change to me whether somebody died of suicide or someone died of OD or someone died of cancer. You know, it's, no. it's losing a child is losing a losing child. Losing a child is losing a child. And we have a friend in our group that's daughter died in the emergency in the emergency room of this disease that she'd kind of had her whole life, and he found ways to be guilty about. He didn't demand the new staff because he knew they weren't doing the right job and all these things. We can find the guilt if we want right. it, and we can find the grace if we want it. Right. Well, again, you guys, I think it's amazing what you guys have done for for the cause and for yourself. For, but I was going to say, we probably definitely get more out of it than, than we could ever put out. You know, when anybody ever says lines like that, oh, I got more out of it, you, you always I, I know, go, BS, 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 but it's true. It's totally true. I'm way too selfish to do anything for someone else that didn't make me feel good. <laughs> well, I do feel it's so funny when our men's group, some some guys will go in a different way, and I don't know, but I, got, I can look at this man and know he and I are on the same page. I feel like we're patting him into positivity, you know what I mean? Don't get too far out there. Just interesting to just see how our faith walk. It's gotten stronger, but it's different. Like the, the width of the road is the biggest thing to me. Yeah. It's so much, the road is so much wider and more peaceful and beautiful and all that than I, I was oh man if we don't do that or you're going to hell I don't even believe in that anymore yeah. I think we can act our way into hell I think we gotta well, go in and lock know, the door on ourselves if we well, want to you think about it it's like what do we call the New Testament it's called the good news yeah it's good news it's not like here sign your name here and join the club or you're going to hell it's like if you embrace this good news joy will be more present in your life. You will live the life you were created to live better. The more, when Jesus said, he didn't say worship me. Show me in the Bible, it says, Jesus said, worship me. Jesus said, follow me. Mm -hmm. So if we live like he lived, we're gonna be happier people, you know? I think the gospel's for here, the earth journey. And when we end our earth journey, it's going, so how'd you do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and who's gonna judge? You're gonna judge yourself. And Ryan sit there and said, I'm going to get more done up here than I did down there. And he said, you, you finish your journey well.
they're off on, our kids are off on a new adventure doing cool shit and they want us to do cool shit. Yeah, yes. And not mope and, you know, be miserable. So, and be blessed by the time we had and uh, look forward to when we reunite. Yeah, you're you're a troubadour in this journey. I'm telling you, John. This 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 the first. Funny when when um, we will end here, man. But um, when 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 Sage passed, you know, it's kind of a blur, or whatever. And I, I hadn't I hadn't heard from you. I didn't think about it, but I heard about life after the loss. I'm like, oh, I need to text John. So I I texted you, and I texted it was me. And you're like, I just thought you weren't texting me back because you had my old number from way back in the day. And I was like, it was just like the perfect timing the way that you talked about it and whatever, it kind of, man, it changed my trajectory in this. And this is just helpful. If I can do that for one other person and that ripple can keep going, man, it's just going to be, it's going to be a better life. More than one. Thank you, John. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. <laughs> Love you, man.